This is the NEJM Coronavirus Update for February 25th, 2020. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal, and I'm talking with Eric Rubin, Editor-in-Chief, and Lindsay Baden, Deputy Editor. Eric and Lindsay, the CDC today announced that it's expecting community spread of COVID-19 in the United States, and that we should expect significant disruption to daily life. So what do we need to be prepared for that? I know, Eric, that you just came back from Japan, which is a country that has seen coronavirus spread already. What are your impressions of their preparations in Japan? So I went to Japan for other reasons. I happened to be there when the patients from the cruise ship were being spread around Japan. And they're being spread around not only because that's an outstanding way to spread disease into many different places, but there just weren't the facilities in Yokohama or Tokyo to take care of all of these patients. The patients who were being distributed were largely asymptomatic but infected individuals. So they were shedding virus, but they were allegedly asymptomatic. When they showed up in various places they were sent to, often a couple hundred miles away from Tokyo, it turned out, of course, that some of them weren't truly asymptomatic or had developed symptoms along the way. And what was very striking is that the clinicians who ended up taking on the responsibility for these patients had been given no guidance as to what to do. So there was no real pre-planning. People were trying to do it their best under the circumstances, but without knowing what the best thing to do was and without having been instructed by the government, by public health authorities, how to act and how to do simple things like infection control. So when these patients who were ill, who were hypoxic, showed up in their doorstep, all they could do was call around and try to find hospital beds another hundred miles away to accommodate these people. I think it's an illustration of how planning on the fly doesn't work out all that well. In all of the misfortune going on right now, we're somewhat fortunate in that we have some lead time. And I think it's going to be important for us to think hard about what we should be doing. And I think, Eric, you raise very important considerations when there are cases and how best for the clinicians and the healthcare system to manage them to decrease transmission. Part of what we need to know is we need to understand the transmission dynamics. Is it only when you're sick? Is it before you're sick? Is it in people who are not very sick at all? And when are people at risk for transmitting? Have we defined that? And can then we develop policies that can help us minimize further transmission? And how long is someone potentially contagious? Is it just during the illness or a period of time into the convalescence? Will all individuals have the same degree of shedding? And I think these are very, very important questions that have to be defined for us to be in a position to understand how best to decrease transmission and how best to have infection control parameters to decrease transmission. So if you were a government policymaker, if you were the head of a major hospital, What would you be doing? How would you be preparing today? I mean, I think that it is very challenging to know how to prepare given the limited information we have. And so developing the data to understand transmission and illness is critically important. However, if we think about this like other respiratory viruses, let's say influenza, 
and it has transmissibility somewhat analogous and severity of illness somewhat analogous. How best do we think about preparing our community and our hospital to decrease transmission? For the most part, if someone has the flu, we don't admit them to the hospital. They should be at home and not transmitting to others, be it on the subway, in a taxi, on the bus, in the workplace. So we have to think about how do we have appropriate social distancing for individuals who are potentially acutely infectious and then set up the framework to decrease transmission. In terms of the hospital setting, I think we're probably best off not having patients with mild illness cohorting at the hospital and transmitting. For the most part, they should be at home. For those with significant illness that require care, then of course they need to be at the hospital and then we need to have appropriate infection control parameters to prevent further transmission, which one could think of analogous to influenza and masks and other types of uh, barrier precautions to prevent transmission. I want to be careful because I just talked about what's happening in Japan and it's very easy to second guess what people are doing under pressure. There are no easy answers. And I think, as Lindsay points out, we need more information to make the most informed choices. There are clearly things that we can do today, that we can plan for today. There are clearly things that are going to be very difficult to plan for. For example, if the burden of very seriously ill people is high, there'll be a demand for equipment like ventilators that are limited commodities, and we need to be thinking about what to do about that right now. There are a limited number of rooms that have negative pressure systems that prevent transmission. What are we going to do with the people when we run out of those? What are we going to do with infected people to try to prevent transmission? These are not easy questions. It was even more difficult at the time of the cruise ship in Japan. Nevertheless, we need to come up with something, and part of that planning is collecting the data necessary to make the most informed decisions. And I think that to sort of amplify some of what Eric is saying, I think the most important thing in the short term that I think we need are diagnostics. How do we know who does or does not have an acute infection with this virus? And the symptoms of a cold are not very specific. Or the symptoms of a pre-cold are even less specific. And so I think the ability to develop and scale up diagnostics that can be readily accessible will be critically important so we're able to direct our resources in the direction of those who truly have infection versus those who we can't exclude infection and are worried about and therefore consuming resources because we can't exclude. And then the other thing that I'd add is about therapy. There have been therapies proposed, and we don't yet know if these are effective. If there are effective antivirals, they may benefit the individuals who are infected, but they could have a very powerful effect on limiting transmission as well. So I think we'd love to be able to treat people, but we would also like to have another tool that we could use to try to prevent spread of disease. Steve, I know this violates all the rules because you're the interrogator, but I wanted to ask you something in this regard. How are people going to get their information? What are the best modalities? And as a longtime editor yourself, what do you think about when you set policies for the journal itself? 
I think that certainly in terms of medical professionals, of physicians and other clinicians, I can only say that medical journals are a respected source of information. And I think we at the New England Journal have put uh, some, some experimental and some tested strategies into place to deal with what is clearly a major outbreak. In general, we encourage authors to share their information with public health authorities immediately. In this case, we have also suggested that they post the information on preprint servers Although we are also offering rapid review and expedited publication, so we expect that the time between those kinds of postings and publication in the journal is going to be quite short. Something new this time around, we're translating all of the material into Chinese, and it's being distributed from our platform in China. So it's reaching clinicians in a place where they need the information, which in the past was more difficult for us to deliver. I think it's working because many of the articles we published on coronavirus in the past few weeks are record-breaking in terms of the number of readers and the number of views on the website. So there's clearly a hunger for this information, and I think we're delivering it. And I think a real challenge, Eric, that you sort of raise is, since this is so fast-moving, the cutting-edge issues this week may be old news next week. And therefore, the journal and throughout the public health community and the reporting community, how do we maintain currency in ensuring that the important questions that people need to know today we're able to address? And that requires a fundamental change in the approach, including modalities such as this podcast to be able to convey information of value as people think about this today, which will be very different issues next week. Let me ask you the number one question that reporters have asked me. What's the trade-off? Why don't we publish everything quickly? Are there any problems with moving as fast as publishing within 48 hours of receipt of a manuscript? I think that in any circumstance, you need to be able to prioritize the relative value of what you're trying to publish. I think when we're not in the midst of a medical emergency, when time is available, it's important to rigorously evaluate the information, to edit it carefully so that the message that goes out to clinicians and the public is as rock solid as it can be. In the case of an emergency, an urgent situation like this one, you try to do that double time, but it would be impossible to do double time for everything that we publish. There are a lot of observations that are being made by many well-intentioned individuals. Not all of them capture the issues correctly. And one of the things we have to weigh very carefully is how to get the most informative information that is correct rapidly communicated using language that is appropriately balanced for the strength of the information. And we are all very anxious about this event. We're very anxious about what it may mean. And we need to be very careful to convey information that helps the community understand the facts of what's going on in a fair and balanced way, minimizing the inflammation, but maximizing the information. And that takes a fair amount of effort to find the right balance with the right speed. I would point out that publishing at this accelerated pace is something that we're very proud to be able to do. It involves a lot of lack of sleep on many people's part. Foremost among them would be Lindsay. But I don't know. You don't sleep that much anyway, do you? Uh, 
This this event requires all of us to respond appropriately, and there are many, many more individuals in the field taking care of patients who are not getting sleep, who are caring for desperately ill individuals, and we're trying to provide information to the community so that everyone can do it a little bit better in responding to something none of us expected but is on the brink of a global calamity. So you've talked some about the kinds of information that you're looking for. You've talked about diagnostics, potential treatments. What else is there that we haven't seen yet but that we need to know? Steve, I think that there are a couple of issues. One, I think the diagnostics, I would argue, is something that we need to address today because it will change our preparedness, change our understanding of the disease, change how all of our healthcare centers respond to this. Therapeutics is a holy grail of which there are several being looked at many more being thought about to develop, but that is going to be kinetically quite delayed, very important. And then there are a series of issues that we haven't talked about that relate to the acute management of patients who are seriously ill, which is likely a minority, a few percent, so a very small number, but they get extremely ill. And there are a variety of therapies that people are looking at from IV fluid to corticosteroids to anti-inflammatory cytokines to different ventilator management techniques to secretion management. All of these things may be beneficial, may not, and require some rigorous evaluation assuming the centers where these patients are cared for are able to organize those kinds of studies so we can actually define the best care. But I think the best care, particularly for the seriously ill, is another avenue of investigation understanding that's needed so we can actually provide the correct care for those who most need it. I would add something not so sexy as medical care, but logistics. When you think about the diagnostic test that's available right now, it's pretty good. And the test itself doesn't take that much time. But right now, it takes a very long time to obtain the test. It's only available in a limited number of centers. That's equally true in China as it is in the U.S. So I think that we need to think about making these resources available rapidly and widely. There are only a limited number of tests going on right now. In addition, other simple things, the availability of personal protective equipment, that will be a major issue as the number of cases increased. We've seen that in every country where the cases have increased currently in China, in Iran, in places like that, in South Korea, where people are running out of masks. So we have to think from a public policy standpoint how we're going to deliver these critical components of care. And as you note, Eric, all one needs is someone to arrive in Milan for a local community outbreak to spread pretty quickly. And it's very likely that those kinds of inoculations in cities will occur many more times over, some of which inevitably will be in the U.S. And are our communities prepared to respond in the ways Eric has mentioned and I'm sure our public health departments are thinking about, but how to really plan for when this will occur and it's unpredictable which city, but it's hard to believe it won't happen in the relative term. I just want to end what I wanted to say on one note, though. I'm not sure who our listeners are. I'm sure they're a mix of people involved in medicine and the lay public. Um, there may be two or three total. I'm not sure. But the CDC announcement that it's likely to spread in the U.S. is important. And I think that most of us who are involved in infectious disease agree that it is inevitable. Right now, the disease, though, is very severe flu. That's I think, a reasonable way to think about it. So 
I think it's not appropriate to panic over it. This is a difficult but manageable situation as long as there's sufficient planning for that management. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Lindsay.